Well, uh, I'm going to begin by saying three things. First of all, thank you very much um, for having me in uh, this wonderful church, uh, which is, uh, I believe, the, the best church in Scotland. Is that right? With the, um, the best preacher in Scotland? Is that... I can't quite read Paul's writing, but... <laughs> Thank you very much for um, having me. Um, uh, the second thing I want to say is uh, I firmly believe in finding, discovering, knowing the truth about anything. And I think no matter where you're from, whether you're an atheist here uh, this evening, an agnostic, uh, a believer, I think the pursuit of humankind is to find the truth about things, particularly things that matter. And that is certainly the case, I think, with um, religion and faith, because we're really talking about things that may matter, will matter, forever, for eternity. I want to know whether Christianity is true or not, because I'm going to roll my whole destiny onto Christianity, onto the person of Jesus, if it is true. If it's not, I'm going to look somewhere else. I'm not a Christian, and I hope you're not, just because Christianity makes me feel good, or it's good for society. First and foremost, I think we ought to be a Christian because it's true that these things really happened. In fact, the first Christians, i.e. the Apostle Paul, said, if this didn't really happen, if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, then we may as well just chuck it all in and go do something else. And I'm firmly behind that. I want to know whether Christianity is true, and if it is true, if it's real, if these things really happened, then I'm in. And I'm hoping that you're of the same disposition that you want to know the truth about things. And uh, I hope to uh, show you the truth of Christianity, at least in part, uh, tonight. The third thing I wanted to say is that, if we're really honest, Christianity is weird. It's strange. If we're really honest. I'm not trying to be clever or blasphemous or heretical. I'm just saying Christianity, at surface level is weird we're talking about a God who became man 2000 years ago and there were angels at his birth and he was born of a virgin that doesn't happen every day Um, and then he walked on water and healed people and he didn't just make people's leg a bit longer or just little funny little miracles like that he did serious things you know the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing. He raised people from the dead and even himself was raised from the dead. That, these things don't happen every day, at least where I'm from. And so it makes me even want to know more for certain that the stories of the Bible are true because at, at face value it seems a little odd, it seems a little strange. And I want to know the truth. If I'm going to roll my whole destiny onto it, I want to know that it's true. In Australia, we might say the words fair dinkum, which means really true. I just want to take you through a short passage.
passage in the Bible that helps me have confidence that the Bible is true, that it's real. This is a passage in particular that I think sounds like a modern writer would write. It comes from the Gospel of Luke. There are four biographies on Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, each named after their respective authors. And Luke was a physician, uh, some sort of doctor, a second generation Christian, and he writes the most amazing biography on Jesus. They're all amazing, but Luke's actually my favourite personally for a number of reasons. I think it's going to appear on the screen, these first four verses. I'm hoping it is. There it is. You could turn to your Bible and look at it uh, if you want to and see it in its larger context. But I'll be largely interacting uh, with the screen. And hopefully you can at least see a Bible or the screen. And uh, this, as I was saying, really gives me confidence that the Bible is true, the story of Jesus is true, and why I'm a Christian today. I'll read it out for you and then just talk you through it, really. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word or the message Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, in the original language, which was ancient Greek, that was one sentence. So it's a weighty, big introduction to his 24-chapter um, book on the person of Jesus. Luke, the physician, the doctor, writing. Now, let's break it down. It starts, many have undertaken, which would be the next slide. There we go. Many have undertaken. Now, that's interesting that here is someone living in the first century and he is already saying that many people have written about Jesus. And it turns out Luke wrote his gospel, the, 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 most scholars would say, around sort of the mid 60s to the early 70s of the first century. And so by then, a number of people, it seems, had been writing about Jesus. Mark wrote his gospel earlier than Luke. Mark is the general consensus these days, is the first gospel written in the early 60s of the first century. And we know that actually Mark uh, was in front of Luke when he wrote Luke. So he actually incorporates large sections of Mark's gospel. He wouldn't have been marked down uh, by his examiners. You could plagiarize in those days. That's completely fine. Mark had done a great job. Mark wrote under the apostle Peter. And uh, so why need, why, you know, change many things there was no need to it just incorporated lots of things changed a few things where he needed to and added some things that perhaps his audience Theophilus in particular would have been asking but many people had written Mark would be one Matthew perhaps wrote uh, earlier than, uh, than Luke 
And we know that the Apostle Paul, who contributes 13 letters of the uh, New Testament, wrote all those 13 books before any of the four Gospels were written. Just about. So, uh, Paul wrote about Jesus. And there would have been other people writing, at least in part, about Jesus, and perhaps they're lost to us over time. So many people were writing about Jesus, and just while we're here, just as a little side thing, we know about Jesus from sources outside of the Bible that come from the first, second centuries. Uh, there are about seven or eight ancient sources on Jesus and the early Christians from the first to second centuries outside of the Bible. And the two big ones are the writings of Josephus and the writings of Tacitus. And they tell us, and uh, other authors, tell us where Jesus was born, how he was born, um, uh, things about his followers, things about his uh, teachings, things about his uh, death, and reports that he did miracles and even his resurrection. We can glean that all from non-Christian sources. So there were lots of people writing about Jesus, and understandably, if he's doing some amazing things, then people start writing about him. So that's a pretty interesting sign right from the first verse. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And I want to point out here the word account. This word account comes from a Greek word that was only ever used when writing about historical things or medical things, actually. You never use this word to describe a myth or a legend. You only ever use this word account when you are writing about serious, historical, true things. That means there is a... Look, there's a... Um, there's a, a, a view that's sometimes uh, embellished amongst the new atheists, which says, oh, the gospel writers, when they were writing about you know, healings and demons and all this sort of stuff, it, it wasn't meant to be taken super seriously. These were symbolic terms. And there's a small arm of marginal scholars who also champion this and say, look, when... when um, uh, the angel Gabriel was there at Jesus' birth. That's just a symbolic way to say that a high priest of the Essenes was there or the star of coming above Jesus at his birth. It wasn't actually an astronomical event, some of these scholars would say. They say, oh, that's just to represent the, um, that Jesus was born as an Israelite, hence the star of David. It's, it's a symbol. Or when Jesus cast demons into pigs... Well, that was just, uh, it, it wasn't literally swine. It was, it was the Roman pigs. And he was, he was ridding uh, the land of the unclean Gentiles, the Romans and so on. That we're supposed to read all these stories symbolically, they say. However, no one would have used a word like that when they're writing symbolically or myth or legend. No one. I mean, in today's world... You would pick up a novel and it reads like, you know, fact. That's the way uh, authors write when they're writing novels now. They try to make it as realistic as possible. 
Now this whole actual uh, first uh, couple of sentences in, in Luke's Gospel is peppered with medical language. This is a classic example. Autopti is, from, is the word we get um, autopsy from. Those who opened up and saw with their own eyes. So he is saying, I've gone and interviewed not second-class ear witnesses, but first-class eyewitnesses. Not those who just heard about these things. The people I've interviewed are the people who saw it. And I don't know whether you know this or not, but there is a, a, I, think it, I think it holds a lot of weight, that Matthew interviewed Joseph about the birth of Jesus. And so Matthew tells the Christmas story through the lens, through the eyes of Joseph. Luke, it seems, interviews Mary. And that's why we've got things like the, the song that Mary sings and, uh, and so on all, all around Christmas. Um, so he is most likely then interviewed her. How else would we know about the story and the birth of Jesus? Unless, you know, mum, dad tells us about them. So uh, Luke seems to have interviewed uh, Mary, uh, one of the eyewitnesses. Obviously, she was there at the birth, I think. Um, and, uh, and then all the apostles. He's gone and interviewed them. We know that Luke hung out with the apostles and he's interviewed them. And so what was it like when Jesus fed the 5,000? Did you really feed the 5,000? Tell me. And then Luke's able to narrate it and so on. So he's interviewed not second-class eyewitnesses, but first-class eyewitnesses. That gives me great comfort because I want to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, from the people that were really there. I love that about Luke. So I've interviewed those who are eyewitnesses and servants of the word or the message. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I've carefully investigated everything. Luke hasn't done his homework badly. He's done his homework well. He's carefully investigated everything. He's gone and interviewed, researched, um, uh, done everything he can possible to get to the truth of the matter. Because I bet you Theophilus, who he's writing to, is going, this stuff sounds weird. A man walking on water, being risen from the dead. God incarnate. And Luke's possibly going, yeah, I know it sounds weird, but let me tell you about it. And I've interviewed the eyewitnesses, those, those that were there, and I've done my interviews very carefully. I've, I've done my research with the utmost care so that you can know that this is true, Theo. I like that about Luke as well. And that gives me confidence. So therefore, since I, have, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, so we're going right back to the conception of uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, and Jesus himself in Luke's Gospel, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you an orderly systematic account for you and that's what Luke does he just writes this orderly systematic account he includes dates places 
geographical references and so on, people's names, even the time of day where all this stuff happened, which is brilliant. Uh, it's not going to appear on the screen, but if you've got your Bible open to you, uh, in front of you, you'll see the very next verse is verse 5. And in that verse, it's, it reads something like, In those days, King Herod of Judea or something. And, and on it goes, just in verse 5, you've got a number of place names, people names, where you, you, all this is giving us time references and place names. and Basically, Luke doesn't say, Oh, in some town, Jesus did this. He might do that occasionally. But more often than not, he gives us basically the GPS coordinates of where this stuff happened. And there's a classic case of this. And I show people this when I uh, do tours to Israel. I'm doing another one in May, if you'd like to join me. But you can go into Capernaum, uh, a, a small town on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And you can go into Capernaum and you can stand on one of the very pinpointed spots of the New Testament where Jesus cast out demons from a man in a synagogue. Now the synagogue there is actually about 4th century, 84th century, but it is actually built on what was the 1st century synagogue that we read about in the Gospels. And the Gospels that record this story all say this event happened in Capernaum, so you've got the town, in the synagogue in Capernaum on the Sabbath. So you've got a day, you've got the town, and then you've even got the building of where this happened. And it's, it, it causes historians to pause when you read something like that because he doesn't say uh, a synagogue in Capernaum. He says, the synagogue. And that's, that's because there's only one synagogue in Capernaum. So you could go to the exact spot where this happened and stand on it. And it, they're not afraid to, to give us this detail so that you yourself could go to Capernaum and ask around. And the fact that it happens on a Saturday, on, a, on the Sabbath, means that the whole town is at rest and virtually there at the, the synagogue. So you've got a lot of eyewitnesses. It didn't happen on a Monday or a Thursday. It happened on the Sabbath when this miracle happened, when everyone's in the building. And, and, and Luke is constantly doing this, giving us place names. Someone with a bit of time on their hands noted, because Luke wrote the book of Acts as well, they've noted that Luke wrote giving us references to 32 different countries, 54 cities, and nine islands. He's constantly giving... He even gives us the time of day sometimes when... at Jesus' death, for instance. He's giving it... Or whether it was at the fourth watch of the night and so on. He's carefully investigated everything and wrote, written this simple orderly account. I love that about Luke's gospel. Uh, C.S. Lewis said he liked to take his Christianity like his whiskey. Straight. I like that. And Luke is just giving it straight. 
I think Luke is part Australian. Because <laughs> Australians just like to tell you straight. And he's gone, oh, look, Theo, mate, I'm just going to tell it to you straight. In those days, and he gives us the names and places and so on. And that gives me confidence in the Bible. So to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, we don't know who Theo was. He doesn't appear much in the Bible, only here at the, at the beginning of Acts. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you may know the certainty. There it is for us tonight. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. I want to know that, whether this is true or not. That this is certain. And it's a fascinating word here, certainty. The Greek word is asphilion. Asphilion. From which we get the word asphalt from. Asphalt. I want you to know, Theo, he's saying, with absolute concrete bedrock certainty that these things really happened and we can look back in the 21st century over 2,000 years and still have immense confidence today that as strange and perhaps as weird as the story of Jesus is and countercultural, that these things really did happen here is a man who's almost saying look I know it's weird but let me tell you that numerous people have written about this. I'm going to write an orderly account. A straightforward account. And I've done my research really carefully. In fact, I've interviewed those that saw it with their own eyes to give you a concrete bedrock certainty that all this stuff really and honestly, truly happened. And friends, can I close by saying... 2,000 years ago the God of the universe actually did become man and born in straw poverty amongst us lived and breathed as one of us taught amazing things did incredible things jaw-dropping things but most significantly of all came and absorbed in himself on a Roman crucifix the debt, the punishment, the payment that we all had to pay on our behalf and then to prove it all, to show us and to conquer our greatest enemy, death, rose from the dead three days later on that first Easter Sunday and appeared to many people showing many convincing proofs of who he was and that he had died come back to life and as weird as it sounds I wholeheartedly believe it because of a passage like this and much more but I'm hoping that those of you who are here this evening who are just investigating just putting your toes in the water of Christianity keep looking keep investigating keep searching because it's not Mickey Mouse this faith there's some real bedrock, concrete truths to our faith. And I'm really hoping that you'll investigate more.
But those of us who are Christians, I hope this gives you even more certainty about your faith. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is trustworthy. And this text tonight for us may even read like a modern historian writing who wants to convey that this is real, that this is true. And we thank you that you have inspired Luke to write and that he's done his homework carefully and that this story of Jesus is true, is real and we can have great confidence in the scriptures. Please, Father, speak to those who are here this evening looking into these things for the first time perhaps. Encourage them to look further and to put their trust in you. You are a trustworthy, true God. Help them to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for them and to put their complete faith in him. In Jesus' name, amen.